0: Our scripture this morning comes from Luke 16, chapter 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feast, feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hungry with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, heaven, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us, he said. Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you for that reading that many of us know so well. And if you turn to the front of your. Um, bulletins. It says, and I want everyone to say this together, so turn to the front and I'll give you a countdown. Down, three, two, one, and we'll say it. Ready? Three, two, one. Say it. It's not what you think. Oh man, it's not what you think. Just like last week we did uh, the, the sermon with the rope illustration and the tower and And uh, the king going to war when Jesus was talking about that. And it's like, it's not what you think. Well, this one occurs on some, um, it's one of those verses, those stories that we grew up with. And so how dare you stand up there and say it's not what you think. Um, It really really isn't (laughs) what you think. And I'll unpack that for us today as we move through this scripture passage um, today together. But listen to this, um, have you ever tried to explain something to someone and while, while you're explaining it to them, they get caught up in just like a, a little particular detail uh, that you threw in there and then they, and then suddenly you, you lost them because they're so focused on the, the little detail that you threw in there, that's all they, and they miss everything else, right? And then you end up saying, that's not what I, what, that's not what I was trying to say, that's what you got out of this? All right, so and we've all experienced that. I've experienced it, you've experienced it. You've actually done it, I've actually done that, and the person always has to say, that's not, that's not what I meant, you're missing the point. Pay attention here. Well, um, I, I have a little illustration that will really just you know, bring us home. It's, it's as if, just picture me talking to someone, I don't care who it is, I'm just talking to them, telling them some kind of experience that I had, and um, it would be as if I said, you know, one time, When I was on vacation in Italy, I got to see uh, the the historic place, the Colosseum, and and it just broke my heart when I saw this Colosseum, knowing that so many people died at this very place, and it just breaks my heart. When I was there, I I couldn't shake that feeling that humanity could just bring us and do such things for entertainment that all these people lost our lives so you say that story to them and the person let's say they responded in this manner man I haven't had a vacation in a long time right you went on vacation to Italy I heard that the spaghetti there is a lot different than the spaghetti we have here in this country is that true and and you're like are you kidding me <laughs> you just missed the entire point. Um, have you ever experienced something like that? When the, I mean, that's a really extreme thing. But there are people out there that will do that. They'll miss the point altogether because they get focused on one little thing. And um, what's happened is, you, you know, there's that, that thing that they focus on acts as a trigger. Okay? And uh, suddenly... Whatever you say after that, they just don't listen to. You could just say, you know, I just got back from climbing Mount Everest uh, yesterday. I'm I'm doing okay. Thanks for you know asking, and they don't hear that. Whatever they heard just distracts them from that, and it's that, and, and they miss the point altogether. And we get so distracted by things, don't we, all the time. Every single person here gets distracted by certain things. If I started doing something uh, strange during this sermon, right, I I don't know what, like start twitching or something like that, Um, or doing this with my hand every 30 seconds, you would not hear anything I'm saying because you'd be focused over here. And I'm telling you, this right here is not important, but what is being said is important. But the fact is, you got distracted by this little thing that pulled you away from the main point. So sometimes when we hear things, we get distracted and then we miss the main point altogether. And that is exactly what's going on with this scripture passage today with the rich um, rich man and Lazarus. Many people, when reading this passage, they get distracted by two things. Do you want to take a stab at you know a guess at what those two things are? Take a moment, think about it. What's you know, think about what this parable is about, and what do you think people get distracted by? Well, that th- that is a good point. And I will bring that out. <laughs> you didn't get it right though. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, heaven and hell. They get they they hear that story of the rich the rich uh, man and Lazarus, and then they die, and then Jesus starts talking beyond that, and suddenly you want to know what furniture is in hell and what temperature it is. right? Like, you know, oh, Jesus is getting ready to tell us about hell here. Everyone pay attention, right? And he doesn't do that at all. He's not giving a description of hell here at all. That's the furthest thing from his mind. Um, and I will say that um, this passage does take place within the context of money it really does the rich if you look at the parables that he tells leading up to this the whole section is about it's it's about money and poor management or how you manage manage money and all those things right there and then he starts off this story with there's this rich young man right well not young there was this rich man and then he moves into that so that should give you a clue that perhaps heaven and hell aren't Jesus's focus here Okay, That's, that's the, the thing I want to get at. And the thing is, we get focused on that. And we get focused on that because we live in a society that is really focused on hell and heaven. Um, and I will tell you that modern assumptions, I'm not going to get into this right now, the modern vision and modern assumptions of both heaven and hell tend to be not, um, non-biblical. They're not getting their... Um, what, what, what we have, this, what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell. In other words, the blanks are getting filled in, like Hollywood um, gets a hold of it, and suddenly we have demons with horns and red skin and tails and stuff like that. And It's just inaccurate. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not biblical. Maybe I'll get into that in the, in the future, but right now I want to move on because I want to talk about what this passage is really focused on right off the bat. I'm not going to work my way up to it. It's focused on character. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is focused on the character of the rich man in contrast with the character of Lazarus. And that's what we're going to unpack today. In other words, their actions in the present will determine life in the hereafter. And last week we talked about that, right? How you assess Jesus and in what you come of that will determine largely your life in the hereafter today we're talking about that with this parable of the rich man and Lazarus even more so in this passage the rich man is his own worst enemy and he ends up ultimately being his very own tormentor I'm going to show you how that is taking place and that certain a certain translation actually gets this wrong the translation we read today actually is, is a misrepresentation of what the Greek actually said. So I'm going to unpack that for you. So what I want to do right now is get into this. But um, if you have your Pew Bibles, which is the N- NRSV, I want you to turn to the page of this, okay? Um, let me grab a bolt and I can help you out here. Turn to the second half of the Bible, uh, the New Testament section, and open your Bibles up to page page 79 and 80, okay? I'll give you a moment to find that. And it's really important that you follow along with two specific verses here that I'm going to point out, okay? And I see you turning those pages. Now, if it's more distracting distracting for you to do that, don't do it. Okay, if it's, le- if it's, you know, but if it helps out, do it, all right? I don't want you to get caught up in the wrong thing. But I think you're going to be in shock in a few, <laughs> few moments about what's going on here, okay? Because we want to understand what the Scripture is actually getting at. We want to be a people that actually understands what Jesus is getting at right here. All right. Now, this story here. At the beginning of it, it's just perfectly normal. Jesus starts telling a parable, and a parable is an illustration of something. It's actually not a historical, factual story, it's an illustration to make a point. So Jesus begins by telling his audience there was a rich man, so now you got a picture. There was a rich man who was dressed up in purple and fine linen. Purple was a sign of royalty, by the way. I think we can all grasp that. Just picture someone wearing that. So he was dressed in purple and fine linen. He had it good. And he ate, he feasted sumptuously every single day. So not a thing was missing. He was full. And at his gate, not someone else's gate, but at his gate was a poor man named Lazarus. So he certainly knew about this poor, name, poor man named Lazarus at his gate who was covered with sores. You can picture the, um, the rich man walking by and seeing this man covered with sores. How do you think his reaction was? You know, he's probably like, oh, you yeah, know, give me around that, right? It certainly wasn't one of compassion. That's not the picture that Jesus is trying to paint here. So he's covered with sores who who longed to satisfy his hunger. So he was in torment with what fell from the rich man's table. He wanted, he's like, if I could live like that, if he could spare me something from this rich man's table, I'm sitting at his gate. But he walks by all the time. He doesn't acknowledge me. He's so much better than me. If he would just share just a little at, what, at what's on his table, I, I'd be better off here. Life would be a little bit better. Do you think the rich man shared anything? No. We see that going on in the world today. All over the place. So he, he longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sword. So he just you know, threw that in there just to, just to bring the, heighten up the story, the, the situation. Well, the poor man died. And was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham, all right? So he's not using words like heaven and hell here. Uh, And Jesus in other situations would use those words, okay? But here he's not. And Abraham, being the father of Judaism, is is who, who he chose, okay? So he looked. So some translations would say the side of Abraham, the bosom of Abraham. So basically he is with Abraham. Let's focus on that. Let's not make this say what it's not saying, okay? All right, so let's use this language. Um, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died, and he was buried. Nothing out of the norm, nor, nor ordinary here, okay? But then it t- the story takes a turn into the afterlife. So we're not in this world anymore, and it says in Hades. Hades is the abode of the dead. That's all you need to know, okay? Hades is the abode of the dead. And then look at turn your eyes on the verse 23, because this is where I'm going to focus for the next minute. It says, in Hades, and we're talking about the rich man, where he was being tormented. Man, that draws up some visions, huh? He's being tormented. I will tell you that it is an incorrect um, interpretation of this. The, the Greek word for word says, in Hades where he was in torment. Now being in torment is a lot different than being tormented, okay? Remember I said modern, modern pictures of hell in your head? It's easy to picture someone being tortured with those modern picture illustrations of hell that have come, have come out of um, not the Bible, all right? So the correct translation is there, in Hades, being in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham. Just the fact that he calls out Father Abraham says he knows the law of Moses. He's a Jew. You don't just normally address someone that way. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony, and it says in these flames in the NRSV. Very interesting. When you picture flames, you picture fire all the way around, right? It's pretty bad. You're being tormented, right? That is an incorrect translation. The Greek word for word says, for I am in anguish in this flame. It's it's singular. In other words, this is personal. So he's in torment because of this flame, and what it's getting at here is this rich man is his own tormentor, okay? That's what that is getting at through that language right there. And I will say this with the pulpit on, you know, this is being recorded, that the NRSV took liberties on theology there that they should have never done. They took um, a noun and made it a verb, and they took something singular and made it, and made it plural, and do you see how that just shifted around tran- the translation your theology completely? He went from being tormented by an outer outer force to being his own tormentor. I will tell you that the NRSV has gotten scripture right on certain passages and other translations like you know NIV, ESV, however you want to get it they've gotten it wrong. in this case, the NIV and the ESV and the King James gets it right. King James uses a certain language, but they, they, it gets it right. Okay, so when you read this passage, those are the versions you want to steer to. to. Okay, now I'm not saying those are the, ver- the interpretations you want to steer to all the time. That's the version for this. Because there are other cases where, where interpretation goes awry in those other. And me, as your pastor, when I come and I do the homework and I look at this, I have a responsibility to tell you that. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to show you the truth of the scripture. Okay, and you you happen to have a pastor that can read Greek. Okay, and that's what it says right there. So I'm going to read that again. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish or agony in this flame. I wanted to point that out today. So that you know the truth of that. Um, the rich man was his own tormentor. He was his worst, own worst enemy. How do we know that? Well, let, let's look at this, OK? <clears throat> this, is, this is where we're going to have a little fun here, And just now that we've set hell aside, we can focus on character, right? Well, the rich man could have asked for anything, seeing Abraham and Lazarus up there, right? He, this is his opportunity. I can ask for anything that I want. And at this point in the parable, the rich man does not know that there is a chasm between them that could be crossed. In fact, he um, thinks that it can be crossed. Why? Because he asks Lazarus to be sent over. So clearly the chasm can be crossed. That's his understanding at this point. You follow me here? He could have asked for anything he wanted. He could have asked To cross the chasm well they certainly have it good over there i want that abraham bring me to you bring me to that type of life that type of afterlife bring me there he doesn't ask for that why because it wasn't what he desired it wasn't what he was choosing he was his own tormentor. He chose all the dissatisfaction. And no matter what he, he was doing to like you know just satisfy himself, it wasn't working. But he kept on doing that anyway. We see people doing that in this life, don't we? They seem to have everything, but it's lonely at the top, isn't it? And they keep on searching and searching and searching for things to satisfy them. And it doesn't work. Guess what? That doesn't change after they pass, according to this. You choose this, you chose this, you chose to be self-sufficient in this. How's that working out for you? It's not. So he doesn't ask to be brought out of this chasm into Abraham's presence because it's not what he desires Instead, he sees Lazarus, now get this, and asks Abraham to send Lazarus to come and provide him relief. Think about that for a second. So instead of crossing over to them, to that kind of life, goodness, reliance upon God, he says, why don't you ask Lazarus to leave that life, that goodness, the presence, being with Abraham, and cross the chasm over to me and satisfy me. He doesn't see Lazarus and get jealous. He sees Lazarus and says, there's my servant. I recognize him. He was at my gate. Send him over here to dip his finger and, 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 and just satisfy me. Let him be my servant. Do you see that, that occurring? It's so blissfully clear when you set aside notions of heaven and hell, and these things get revealed in the passage here. The rich, young, the rich man has not changed. He still sees Lazarus as the lesser, someone to serve him. The rich man is still self-serving. The rich man shows no repentance or change of character whatsoever. He's the same person as he was when he was on earth. He doesn't even acknowledge where he is. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't say, man, I'm so guilty. I wish I would have done this. I wish I could have changed. I would have helped out Lazarus. He doesn't even look at Lazarus and say, tell Lazarus, I'm sorry for not paying attention to you. For I could have helped you. You were at my gate, and I just stepped around you because you just disgusted me. And you know what? You still do. Therefore, you cross. You leave your paradise. Come over into this Hades and serve me. Because that's your place, not up there. That's what's going on in this parable. The rich man doesn't even acknowledge that he's there. Now, if I was surrounded, like, let's go back to the other translation. If I was surrounded by flames and stuff, and I was being set on fire and torment, I'd want to get out of that pretty quick. All right? I wouldn't look up and ask someone to be sent down this way. I'd be like, get me out of here. But then after that, that's when Abraham reveals, there's a chasm he can't cross. (laughs) He didn't know it yet. You see the order and how Jesus is telling the story. It's very important here. And he goes, oh, okay, we'll send someone to, you know, warn others. He's like, I did. I sent Moses. I sent the law. They're not listening and they're not paying attention to that. You know, what makes you think they're living the same life that you live, self-serving? What makes you think they're going to stop everything and start, you know, making a change of heart? I gave them everything they need. No, you know, they they weren't going to change. And that's the point of the story. That's what Jesus is getting here. In this parable, Jesus is pointing out the major character flaws of the rich man during his time on earth. He could have used his money to make Lazarus' life better, but he chose to serve only himself. Even worse, others served him. How selfish. Selfish now, selfish then, and selfish in the future. So what about what about hell? <laughs> right? Because I mean we, we typically look at this passage and we think about hell and we think about torment and we think about all those things um, that that those modern assumptions that we get into. I will tell you this. This will clear this up. Um, Jesus will not force you into heaven, okay? He's not going to be like, you're not going to be like, I don't believe in you. I don't want God's ways. I don't want God's goodness. I don't want his compassion, his grace, all those wonderful good things. By the way, if you don't want any of those things, to me, you're a jerk, <laughs> Okay, if you don't want goodness, compassion, you don't want to grow in patience, you don't want to grow in kindness or anything like that, you're a jerk. Sorry, and I don't want to have anything to do with you because you're going to treat me eh, like like a certain way. Okay, I don't want to like start going off with that. But that that drives me nuts. If you push, if you um, introduce the gospel properly, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Okay, and the people who refuse it, if if you push it, you know, not push it, if you present it properly. They want opposite things. They want evil. They want chaos. They want all that. Now, check this out. Standing, if, when you read the Gospels, there's no place in it that Jesus forces people to believe in him. Jesus doesn't force you into heaven, and God is not going to force you into heaven. So, that means that you, not choosing God, okay, and going off to this Hades, okay, without God, you chose it. That means God's last loving act toward you is honoring your decision. Let let that sink in for a second. He's saying, you don't want me. You don't want love. You don't want the goodness of all these people here. You don't want to join us in that. And you say, no, I don't. He says, man, I love you so much, but okay. That's what it looks like. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose it. Okay. Let that sink in for a while. What I want you to do is just look at this passage when you can, maybe discuss it this afternoon among you, because a lot has been revealed once you let go of modern assumptions of hell and perhaps how you grew up understanding this passage, because we were distracted by the wrong things. Like that illustration at the beginning, we focused on, Um, vacation and spaghetti, rather than we missed the point, (laughs) right? Jesus is making a point of character here. Love one another, just as Chris said during the passing of the peace. He says, love one another. Can we do that? I know we can do that, because I feel it from each and every one of you. God bless you. I love you, and I know that you love each other. You love me. You love Jesus Christ. Let's live that together. Amen? Amen? Amen.